0: Hey, it's Nancy. Before we begin today, I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Crime Beat early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
1: A listener's note: This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. Listener discretion is
0: advised. As a little girl, my dad was my hero. I was daddy's little girl. I followed him around the farm, wanting to spend every single moment with him. Wherever he went, I was never more than five steps behind. Over the years, working as a journalist, I've witnessed a lot of different relationships between fathers and their children. There's one case that really stands out to me. A teenager pleaded guilty in a really violent case. I won't get into details of that crime. It's not relevant to this particular story. It's what happened in the courtroom that was so unique. I was covering his sentencing, and the teen's father was brought in to support him. His dad was in custody for his own crimes. The father and son hugged in the prisoner's box. That father might not have set a positive example, but it was clear they still shared a very special bond only a father and son could. I always think of that old country song by George Strait that specifically talks about a father's love.
2: He said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love. The secret that my daddy said was
1: just between us. He said daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end, amen.
0: Today on Crime Beat, the story of Sarah Ray, a young woman who will be her daddy's little girl forever without end. Gord Ray was a self-described wannabe hippie with a love of classic rock. It was 1976 in Brandon, Manitoba. Roger Daltrey and The Who were larger than life and ruled the airwaves on rock stations across the country.
2: And the music's all right
1: Mama's got a squeeze box
0: Right after high school, Gord's wanderlust took over, and he spent the next few years traveling the world. He worked odd jobs to save just enough money to pay for those trips, go off on an adventure, then go back home to start saving for the next one. At one point, he spent three months exploring India. By the time Gord was 20, he was once again back home, this time working for CP Rail doing construction and maintenance work. One night, Gord went to a hotel lounge with his rail crew. And that's when he met his future wife. In 1977, Gord and the love of his life moved west to Calgary in search of greater job opportunities. Gord was ready to settle down. When
1: we get crazy, it just
0: By 1980, the couple tied the knot in a small ceremony and kicked off married life arm-in-arm, slow dancing in the kitchen to the Eagles. It wasn't long before they decided to start a family. And on December 2nd, 1983, just five years after their big move, Sarah Nicole Ray was born.
2: From that second onward, she was the center of our universe.
0: Obviously, Gord is a bit biased. But to him, the sun would rise and set on his daughter.
2: Parents couldn't ask for a a better child. She slept through the night after like two or three weeks. It was ridiculous. She didn't cry. She was just a model baby.
0: That was the start of a very special father-daughter relationship. To Gord, Sarah was his everything. He adored her. Every night, Gord would sing his sweet child to sleep.
2: Once there was a way to get back homeward. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry, and I will sing a lullaby.
0: That became their special song. And every morning, Gord made sure there were smiles awaiting his beautiful Sarah. Sarah had long brown hair and big brown eyes. At first, she was a little on the shy side. She liked to stand back and assess each situation. But as she got older, she became much more adventurous. In her dad's eyes, maybe a little bit too adventurous.
2: She had a really different sense of humor. She would, uh, she'd do things that would get a reaction from people just because she liked to see them, for example, she was with her younger niece and nephew who was just a baby. And they were over at our house. They went next door to the uh, this lady that lived next door to us, put his put him on the front doorstep, rang the doorbell, and they took off and hid behind a tree to watch the reaction. <laughs> and Sarah was probably. I'm going to say around 9 or 10 years old at this point. And, uh, of course, they came out, but, but this lady was obviously shocked to find a, a baby on her front step and nobody around. But those are the kinds of things, innocent things, but just just to get a reaction out of people. Another thing she'd love to do, when we were driving and a car would pull up and they'd have their stereo, boom, 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 boom. boom. Well, she'd roll the windows down. She'd turn on CBC-FM to the opera, and she'd crank the opera up and pretend she was singing along with opera, and these these guys would be looking over. but That's the kind of sense of humor she had.
0: Sarah was also well-known for her kind nature.
2: In high school, uh, one of her friends, or acquaintances at the time, uh, had bipolar, and he was... He was you know, depressed, and he was um, kind of a, a nerdy type guy, I guess. Uh, easy target for the bullies in the school. And she got to school one day, and they were circled around him, and they were beating this guy up. And there was a whole ring of students around, sort of cheering it on and watching this. And Sarah jumped in there, and sh- she was 100 pounds, if that. Five foot nothing she was tiny and she's pulling these guys off and finally everybody thought well if Sarah's can jump in and stop this maybe we should too so they they broke it up
0: what most people didn't know about Sarah was she could also sing
2: she sang in the shower she had a beautiful voice and we tried to uh, We tried to get her to get involved in in school choirs and things like that, and she just didn't want to do that. She just preferred to sing on her own in her bedroom or in the shower, and we'd stand outside the washroom and listen to her, because she had a really nice voice.
0: Sarah's taste in music was pure pop. She would constantly be belting out Christina Aguilera or Gwen Stefani.
2: That's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. We used to be She'd together, sing that.
1: Every day together
2: if she broke up with her boyfriend or something, she would play that over I and feel over. Get that you're <laughs> sad.
0: As much as Sarah loved music, she hated school.
2: She liked the social part of school. Not so much the academic part. <laughs>
0: She decided after grade 11, she was done with it.
2: School wasn't her thing as far as, and it was too bad. We we were dead set against that, but there was no point in enforcing it if she wasn't going to apply herself at all.
0: For a while, Sarah worked odd jobs in retail. And then she got a job helping seniors at a retirement home near downtown Calgary.
2: She loved working with the old people and there was one woman in particular and I don't recall her name now but she would teach Sarah how to ballroom dance and, and then Sarah would teach her how to how to do uh, hip-hop and stuff <laughs> and they danced together they they had quite a close relationship and then th- this woman died and Sarah that just broke her heart and she kind of lost the interest after that she She thought, I can't go through that.
0: Eventually, Sarah found a job she absolutely loved. She became an esthetician at a popular family-owned cosmetic and skincare company.
2: Pedicures and manicures, eyebrow. I think they even did some ear piercing. She loved it.
0: When Sarah was in her early 20s, she met a man that caught her eye. His name was Travis Martell.
2: I didn't really see the fascination with him right off the bat. He First time he came to the house, he just sat out in the car and honked. And I said, no, no, he comes in. You're not going out there unless he comes in and meets us.
0: First impressions are a big deal. And for Gord, this new guy failed miserably.
2: I thought it was just going to be a, a short term, you know, but anyway, he came. He came back on a Saturday morning, around eleven o'clock, to really meet us. And he pulled a beer out of his pocket. He drove over, and this is meet the parents. And he pulls a beer out of his pocket. We spoke to Sarah about it. We, you know, we said Sarah, this this guy's no good. Why would you? He doesn't even like to work. He didn't have a, a job for like he'd get fired. He was. He was A deadbeat.
0: It was a rocky relationship. Sarah and Travis were very much on again, off again.
2: He drank a lot. Sarah drank. And when they both drank, fights. Not physical fights, just arguments. I never had any concern that he had ever physically abused her. But we knew that it wasn't good. We knew that just repetitive um, cycle of breaking up and getting back together, and it was going to end eventually, one way or the other. And we got Sarah into counseling. The counselor suggested, you know, doing a pros and cons list and, and you know various things, which she did. And her con list was a lot longer than the pro list, but there was some sort of attraction.
0: This went on and on for about four years. Gord tried to reason with his daughter. Not a Not good gonna.
2: guy, and you're you're paying his way because he's can't even hold a job. And, and we saw how he treated his mom, too. Like, we'd, we'd go over there, and he'd be verbally abusive with his mother. And we we said to Sarah, if he treats his mom like that, he's going to treat his wife like that or his girlfriend like that. But she's an adult. Yeah. All we could do was, was tell her that she's welcome back when she needs to be back.
0: And that's what Gord did. Supported Sarah the best he could. Always hoping she would leave Travis and find true happiness. What Gord didn't realize was that he wasn't the only one who was fed up with how Travis treated Sarah. One of her friends spoke up at a house party the couple went to.
2: And there was a fellow there that had known them and knew what their relationship was like. And he stood up at the party and said, Travis, don't treat Sarah that way. If you do, I'm going to ask Sarah out and I won't treat her that
0: way. That night proved to be a turning point for Sarah. The 24-year-old finally had enough. She broke it off with Travis, packed up her bags and moved home. On the morning of August 2nd, 2008, Gord gave his daughter a hug before she left for work. He was so relieved to have his girl safe at home, back where she belonged, surrounded by people who loved and respected her. The following day, a stranger showed up on Gord Ray's doorstep.
2: I just happened to look out the window and see this car pull up. This guy I've never seen before coming up the up the walkway.
0: The man introduced himself as a Calgary police officer.
2: I called my wife down, and um, he said right away, um, "Is your daughter Sarah Ray? Yeah. Well, she's." You know, just—I can't even remember how he told us, but right away he told us she was deceased, um, victim of a homicide, and we just went into a state of shock. Like,
0: and just like that, Gord's little girl, his everything, was gone. On August eleventh, two thousand eight, eight days after Sarah's murder, her loved ones gathered to pay tribute to a life that was cut far too short.
2: I sang uh, "Golden Slumber" at Sarah's funeral, and uh, don't know how I did it because I think I was still in a, in a state of shock at that point. As a parent, you imagine what, you know, if something horrible happened to your kids. But when it happens, it's a thousand times worse than you ever imagined.
0: All he knew at that point was that Sarah had been murdered. The Calgary Police Homicide Unit was investigating, and Travis was offering his insight into what happened.
2: He owed some guys some money, and they must have come, and Killed Sarah
0: Sarah was found dead inside the home Travis shared with his mother. Travis was the one who found her.
3: Nine one one. Hello, hello, I'd like to report, but my, my wife, she's, she's dead. What, sir? Uh, my wife, she's dead. I just got home.
0: This is Travis's call to nine one one. I just got. I just got home.
3: I just got home right now, it's 5 in the morning, we were off at the club and- Sir. We- I-, I just came in- I just came in the bedroom and she's- Sir, why she blood you... all over her. Sir. There's blood on my frickin' walls and on her and stuff and she's not breathing and- Sir, do you think she's beyond help? Oh, I just went up and kissed her. I- oh, fuck, I just wanna go outside and yell at the fucking world. I'm just mad, I'm- uh, I don't know what to do. My freaking wife- I don't know
0: what to do. At that point, the 911 operator asked if he could help guide Travis to try and resuscitate Sarah.
3: I think she's dead. She's, she's blue. Do you want she's, to. You... She's blue, she's cold. She's not. She's not responding. Do you want to try resuscitation on her, sir? I already you know how to do resuscitation, mate. I'm sorry. Sorry? I'm sorry, I don't know how to do it. I just. I can tell you what to do.
0: The dispatcher was persistent and repeatedly tried to get Travis to perform CPR.
3: There's a big, there's a big stab wound right through her chest. So I, I tried to... I, I came in the room, I don't wanna... I, I just thought she was sleeping and stuff, but she's, <laughs> she's not. OK, I'm with you, so I'm not gonna go anywhere. I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Okay. i is all of my life. It is, like, really late. I just called you guys. Like, I I have to call her parents. I have to call my friends. I I don't know what to do. I got blood on my frickin' shirt and it's just... My wife... Do you think she... Do you say there's a stab wound? It's a stab wound, I think. I don't know. Gunshot. I don't know. I don't know. I just came in the door. Sir, are you sure you don't want to attempt resuscitation here? I can talk she's, you through it if you want to try. The longer we leave it, the worse it gets. She's blue. She's blue.
0: Travis told the dispatcher he might know who killed Sarah.
3: I think I have a good idea who did whatever, do whatever. Travis, I have a good idea. Travis, tell me. Can you see any weapon lying around anywhere? I don't see anything. Don't I just see blood anything. all over our bedroom and... Where I mean, we were at the bar today. We got into like a bit of a scuffle. That wasn't it. It's like I went off and that, I mean, was, that was it. Are you not in the bedroom with her? <laughs> and you're in the living room, are I'm <laughs> in my kitchen. I went up there. I thought I opened the door and it was dark. so The music was on and I, uh, I thought she threw off. She was like passed out on the bed. I thought I thought she threw off. So I put a towel down. I went to go give her a hug and kiss. And there was just blood everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that you could have possibly done was some CPR for us, but if you don't want to do it, I can't force you to do it, okay? <laughs> no, I went up and I, I, I turned the light on. I, I don't know, but uh, we both know some illegal people, which are great people, but... <laughs>
1: well, at that point, we knew that uh, she suffered some sort of trauma to her chest. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline.
0: Calgary Police Homicide Detective Rick Tuza was assigned as the primary investigator on the case. Tuza said Travis Martell was immediately taken to police headquarters for an interview
1: typically when somebody's murdered it's usually somebody they know but with the information we had that uh, you know from Travis that it was uh, he came home and found her then it really opens up the doors he said that they had an argument and he had gone out for a walk and when he came back he had found her and uh, they had a a rocky relationship and uh, you know they fought Uh, but they always made up. We kind of put it to him, you know, we asked him if he was responsible, he denied it. You know, it makes sense, you gotta ask the person, did you do it?
0: At that point, police still didn't have any suspects in Sarah's death, and Travis provided some possible leads.
1: He was saying, you know, he might have owed some money, that there might have been some debts outstanding.
0: Travis said, He owed a large gambling debt and had been threatened by that debt collector. This is a recording of one of the conversations between Detective Tuza and Travis, just days after Sarah's murder. It happened outside at a park. The audio is a little bit hard to hear, so you have to listen very carefully.
1: And so you, he franched the 10 grand, but you say you ended up going fifteen with interest. Yeah. So was that an automatic thing, or was it a time thing? It or? was basically after the first week. He said,
3: owe me fifteen. If you don't, if you don't do that. You know, I'll be coming for you. People will get hurt."
0: Travis told police the night Sarah was killed, he was approached by two men in the bathroom of the bar they were at. And I
3: had a couple of guys come up to me and said, "You old." some money there, buddy, and stuff. We're
0: watching you. Travis pushed investigators to look at his cell phone. He told them it would confirm both his story and his alibi.
1: He was adamant that there was information on his phone that would uh, be able to assist the investigation. He wanted us to have that phone.
0: Police would have that phone examined by a tech crime specialist. I'll come back to the cell phone later. Investigators started following up on the leads Travis provided.
1: I had a description of a vehicle, a Black Hummer, so I searched all the Black Hummers in Alberta and followed up on all that information and contacted people and interviewed one fella.
0: At the same time, investigators were also searching for the murder weapon.
1: My partner uh, worked with uh, Calgary Search and Rescue to do grid searches and uh, basically you start from the residence outwards and you start looking in garbage cans, people's yards, um, a media campaign to ask people to look in their, on their property to see if there's anything unusual.
0: That search came up empty. Police interviewed anyone who might have witnessed anything that could help lead investigators to Sarah's killer. Sarah had gone out with Travis to the bar that night and met up with some friends. Those friends were also interviewed by detectives.
1: It was hard for, uh, for Sarah's friends to, to go through this, too.
0: Really, the one consistent theme that came through to investigators from Sarah's family and friends was a dislike for Travis and how he treated her. The weeks turned into months and still no answers. To anyone following the case, it would have appeared the investigation had gone cold. But homicide detectives had been quietly working away on the case, and Sarah's family was confident police would catch her killer. Detective Tuza kept his cards close to his chest. Police had discovered key evidence this was not a who done it. From day 1, police had a pretty good idea who was responsible. And now they had proof.
1: I believe he thinks he's in the clear.
0: Just shy of the 2-month anniversary of Sarah's death, police announced her killer had been caught and charged. You're watching Global Calgary. For nearly two months, this 24-year-old's murder went unsolved, her killer walking free. But now, the first signs of justice for Sarah Nicole Ray. Police have arrested and charged her boyfriend, Travis Martell, with her killing.
1: Mr. Martell's status evolved from a person that was providing information to a person of interest, uh, then to ultimately last night being charged with the murder.
0: Despite all the wild goose chases police were sent on, looking for fake debt collectors and hummers, there was only ever one suspect in this case. Travis Martell was charged with the second degree murder of his girlfriend, Sarah Ray. It was a bittersweet moment for Sarah's family. Her father was thankful the killer had been caught But it was tough to reconcile that his instincts about Travis were spot on.
2: She definitely didn't disclose the whole situation to us.
0: It was only during the trial, just over a year later, that Gord Ray would learn details of what happened to Sarah. Remember that cell phone I mentioned earlier? Travis Martell's cell phone? The one he told police would clear him and lead them to the person who murdered Sarah? Well, he was correct in one thing. It did lead police to the killer. That phone provided the evidence police needed. Detective Tusa took Travis's cell phone to the Calgary Police Digital Forensic Unit, also known as the Tech Crimes Unit. What those investigators found was completely unexpected.
1: I think I drove maybe a a few blocks away and I get a phone call from the technician asking me to come back.
0: Tech crime investigators are specially trained to analyze and retrieve information from electronic devices, including cell phones. In this case, they found a file on Travis Martell's cell phone that had been deleted. You might wonder how they were able to find a deleted file. Because people think that if you delete a file, it's gone. Correct. That's not?
1: That's correct. He had found it right away, and he was super excited. And of course, this is this is a key piece of information that's going to solve our case. And uh, he explained that it was deleted video, that the software... You wouldn't find it unless you had the specialty software. And uh, when he pulled it up and we watched it, it was uh, it was very telling.
0: Tuza was floored by what they recovered from that cell phone.
1: It is a terrible thing to watch, and I don't wish it on anybody. He showed me the video, and uh, it was a two-minute-long graphic video of uh, Sarah dying.
0: Travis videotaped Sarah's final minutes of life. Let's take a minute to just think about that. Domestic violence is a tragic and awful reality. And police will tell you most homicides are committed by someone connected to the victim. But videotaping your own girlfriend's final minutes after savagely stabbing her can only be done by someone so cold and callous. He mocked her as he filmed her, and he showed zero empathy. Detective Tuzza said in three decades of policing, he had never seen anything so heartless.
1: Sarah's on the bed, and uh, the picture, the video is taken from approximately, I'd say, Maybe eight feet away, and at one point it zooms into her chest where her wound was, and zooms back out. And there's there's some talking on the video, and there's music playing, and obviously she is uh, she's dying. She's in her her last breaths, and uh, yeah, it was it's a it was a terrible thing to watch.
0: One thing that I wondered is why Travis would have offered up his phone knowing that horrific video was on it.
1: Well, he must have thought that he was in the clear, that when he deleted the file, nobody would ever find it. And, uh, you know, in his mind, he was giving up evidence that would help uh, support his alibi.
0: The video was on his phone, and Tuza could hear Travis talking in the video. But Travis wasn't actually seen in the video he never went in front of the camera himself
1: as you watch the video at no time do you get a reflection of who's actually taking the video all you've got is a video and somebody talking and that was one of the issues i had when i took the video to the crown to say hey this is our evidence can we lay a charge now Uh, they told me no
0: it was clear travis was responsible for sarah's death the problem was proving that it was in fact Travis taking the video and that he was the one who killed her. While police searched for that proof, they didn't let on to Travis that he had become the primary suspect. Does he ask you, like, did you check my phone? Oh, for sure. And what do you say?
1: Yeah, yeah, we checked your phone. We're following up on it.
0: Police tried a number of investigative techniques to try and link Travis to the video.
1: How was I going to prove that it was his voice? You know, um, doing a lot of research, um, talking to people in Ottawa about how we can do uh, voice comparisons, and uh, we weren't able to do that with the technology we had at the time.
0: Investigators went over the video frame by frame. They watched and listened carefully looking for anything that could help them confirm the identity of the man behind the cell phone. The total time of the video is two minutes and six seconds. As the camera zoomed in to the wound on Sarah's chest, a man's voice is heard saying, look at the wound you got there. It was like the man was mocking Sarah as she gasped for her last breaths, her life escaping her body.
1: You know, there was a phrase where he was saying he'd be with her soon enough. He talked about uh, the wound to her chest. And uh, the one thing he did say was he called her baby girl.
0: Remember those interviews police did with Sarah's friends? They told police Travis called Sarah baby girl.
1: And that was a key piece of information.
0: Because he had never told you that before, that he called her that? That's right. Police prepared to confront Travis with the video. And on September 30th, 2008, he was taken in for questioning. For the most part, Travis kept his head down while a detective went over the evidence and tried to get him to open up about what really happened the night Sarah was killed. This went on and on for hours.
1: Detective Tusa made every attempt to verify your story. And nothing could be verified.
0: The detective told Travis even his timeline didn't add up.
1: They arrived at 504
2: in the morning at your house 504 two to four hours after death. What does that tell us, Travis? That tells us that Sarah died at three in the morning. Three in the morning. What does that tell us? That tells us that everything you've told us up to this point doesn't fit the timeline. It doesn't fit.
0: Medical evidence showed Sarah died several hours before Travis called 911. Police believe he used that time to try to hide the weapon, along with his bloodied clothes, clean up the crime scene, and practice his story.
1: We have a fellow that's taken him through the whole thing and basically Starts to the point where you're accusing somebody and it's deny, 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 and then you play your the video, which is kind of your trump card. Help me understand what is on this DVD that we're about to watch. What is he gonna tell me? What is he gonna show me? I know that you tried to delete it off your phone trying to do that but, like i said, just because it's deleted doesn't mean it's gone i'm samantha cole host of the new season of understood the Pornhub empire over the course of four episodes i'll tell you how a horny youtube knockoff in canada came to dominate the porn world only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from
0: the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports, and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca. Travis was silent as the detective played the video.
1: It's that moment in time where the person Takes that pause and then they have to give you some truth. How can you explain that? You know, it's there's that they deflate. Typically, people will deflate and then they have to explain. And that's what he did. He gave his version of what took place.
0: The officer closed his laptop. He pushed Travis to explain the video. Travis took a few minutes. He had a smoke, and he knew he was defeated. Finally, he started to talk. He told the detective after they got home from the bar, he and Sarah got into a fight. Well, I had a knife beside my bed. I always slept beside my bed. Okay. You know, just for, you know. Yeah. A
2: piece That never happened. Yeah.
0: Did you catch that? Travis told the detective he kept a knife beside his bed. He said he slept with it in case something ever happened. Well, She grabbed the knife and uh, we struggled and
2: stuff. It was just
3: like, you know, nothing major. I pushed her down. Okay. And, um, you know, they kind of
2: Went into her. Where, where did you go into her, Travis? Because I into her
0: okay. Again, if you missed that, Travis said there was a struggle with the knife and that the knife kind of went into her. I
2: just I just lost it. I should have called 911 right there. I was pretty hammered. And I was thinking, I'll join you soon. I'll okay. just to myself and. Okay, but
3: then uh, kinda of got cold feet after it, yeah. And here we are. Where you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't any planned out thing
2: or anything like that,
0: so. it was only then police were finally able to learn what happened to the murder weapon.
1: Can I ask you a couple more questions? Yes, sir, okay. Where where is your t shirt? Mm, t shirt, yeah the one you wearing. The t-shirt and the knife. Or uh, in the attic. In the attic? No. Okay. Where in the attic is, is, the, is the knife? South... South... Southwest corner. So, Southwest corner? Southwest corner and southeast corner.
0: Southwest or southeastern? No. Travis had hidden the knife he used to kill Sarah under some insulation in the attic of his mother's home. Over the next few hours, police were able to obtain two further confessions, each a slightly different version of events.
1: Once uh, we, he gave a, basically a full interview, um, you know, I said, okay. well, how else can we get another confession from him? So we allowed him to use a a telephone. And we had that telephone wired up. We had an authorization to record his conversations. And uh, we captured another confession where he phoned one of his best friends and basically confessed again.
0: The third confession came in the form of a reenactment. Travis went with police to his mother's house and gave a play-by-play of his version of what transpired that fateful night Sarah was killed. During the reenactment, Travis told police he grabbed Sarah's wrist and tripped over her purse. He said she fell backwards and the knife stabbed into her stomach. According to court records, the sequence of events Travis described did not even come close to matching the forensic evidence. The trial judge noted Travis's story evolved. First, he denied involvement. Then he denied planning it. And finally, he said it was an accident. What really stood out to Detective Tuza was a lack of remorse.
1: Some people are more remorseful than others. Um, Some are truly sorry for what they do. And uh, I don't believe that was ever the case here.
0: Based on the forensic evidence in the case, along with the call to 911 and the confessions, the trial judge concluded Travis Martell was a serial and repetitive liar. The judge ruled the motive was jealousy. Witnesses testified Travis hovered over Sarah that night at the bar, and even called her while she was in the washroom to see where she was. As for any claim that Travis was intoxicated, the trial judge noted he was sober enough to use his cell phone to videotape Sarah, then delete that video and go up into the attic to hide his bloody shirt along with the knife before concocting his story and calling 911. It was also noted first responders did not consider Travis to be intoxicated. Travis Martell was found guilty of the second degree murder of his girlfriend, Sarah Ray he appealed his conviction and his sentence. He lost that appeal, and ended up having an extra three years tacked on to his parole ineligibility, from 12 years to 15. Details of what happened to Gord Ray's daughter haunt him. Gord has never watched that horrific video but he will never be able to shake the picture it's left in his mind.
2: They started to play it one day in court, and we just heard the audio portion of it. And that was, an, like, she was gasping. I've heard the transcript of what was said. And he said, look at the wound you got there, right in the sternum, right on. As she's bleeding out, and gasping, and he said some other things. Just, uh, oh, pee or something. Ugh, oh, gross, you know, he's, he's making all these comments while she's lying there dying.
0: He doesn't have words to describe how he feels towards Travis, the man who stole his daughter, his only child.
2: And, and it's just, it's so hard to understand how anybody c- could do that to anyone else. When you go through the, went through the trial and, and he was convicted, there's a sense of relief that he is guilty, he's going to account for it. But you wake up the next day and nothing's really changed. Your daughter's still dead.
0: Now, not even 11 years after Sarah's murder, Gord has to brace for the possibility Travis could soon be out of prison. He was given a life sentence, but he's eligible for day parole in September of 2020. In fact, he's already started his path to freedom. In March, 2019, The Parole Board of Canada granted Travis escorted temporary absences for personal development. The board said the goal is to allow for a gradual reintegration into society. Gord Ray plans to attend hearings once Travis is up for full release and hopes he can influence the board to keep him behind bars for as long as possible. Not a day goes by that Gord doesn't think about Sarah. She is never far from his thoughts. And more than once a day, he sees or hears something that reminds him of her. On those days when he's invited to attend the wedding of his friend's daughters, he feels robbed. At Christmas and other holidays, he dreams of having her back. Every Father's Day, Gord has a special way of remembering Sarah, a treasure he's cherished since his final Father's Day with her. It's a card. When you open it up, it plays a song and a message Sarah recorded especially for her dad.
1: Hey dad,
2: happy
0: Father's Day, I love you. Me
2: and you, and you and me, no matter how they toss the dice, it had to be. The only one for me is you, and you for me, so happy together.
0: Thank you for joining me and letting me share this story with you. If you know someone, anyone, who you suspect is a victim of family or domestic abuse, please contact police immediately. Reach out for help. Crime Beat is written and produced by me, Nancy Hickst, with producer Dila Velasquez, Our audio producer is Rob Johnston. Special thanks to Vildo Sturum for his editing assistance. I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast, and you can help me share these important stories by rating and reviewing Crime Beat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I want to thank you for all the questions you've been sending in. I do try to respond to each and every one. If you have a question about one of the episodes, about crime reporting in general, or a question about me, send them my way. I hope to answer some of your questions right here on the podcast in an upcoming episode. Feel free to send me a message on Twitter, at Nancy Hickst, on Facebook, at Nancy Hickst Crime Beat. And I would love to have you join me for added content on Instagram, at nancy.hickst. You can also email me at nancy.hixt at globalnews.ca. Thanks again so much for listening. Please join me next time.
1: Hi. Her name is
3: Elspeth.
0: Elsbeth Tassioni.
3: You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from *The Good Wife* and *The Good Fight*. You've been a very busy little bee,
0: Buzz Buzz.
3: Now she's
1: in New York with the NYPD.
0: This is very different, better.
1: But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tasyonia. <laughs> Elsbeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.